0: Pastor Javen continues the series, In It, Not Of It, Well, we are going into Daniel chapter three, where the attention is on Daniel's three friends this time. Today, we'll see a story of courage that inspires us to have an even if faith. So take a moment now and prepare your heart for today's service. You know, we love stories of courage, don't we? We love to hear stories of courage. The stories of courage captivate us. They they draw us in. They uh, you know, we, we, we want to, we love watching movies that, that tell us the story of someone with great courage. Even if it's a fictional movie, when it portrays a character who has such courage, we're drawn into that. And oftentimes we think, man, I hope I have that kind of courage. I wish I could have that kind of of courage. You know, We'll read books, those of us who love to read, we'll read books about people's courage because it draws us in. We're inspired by those stories of courage. There's, there's a story of courage I want to open with and share with you today, maybe one you've heard before, but I don't know that it's widely known and publicized. There's a story of, an, uh, of a lady by the name of Irina Sindler. She lived in Poland, and she lived in Poland during the days of Adolf Hitler and his Nazi regime. Now, you... I'm sure know about Adolf Hitler, he, uh, a ruthless dictator who wanted every knee in his day to bow to him, right? And he killed many of those who followed God who uh, of Jewish descent. Now, the Nazis invaded Irina's homeland there in, uh, in, in Poland, and they rounded up all of these Jews who were there, and they basically walled them into a ghetto area. There in her homeland. Now, Irina was a nurse and she obtained permission to work as a nurse and go in and out of that ghetto community, to come in and to provide assistance, medical assistance to those there. But she would also come in and she would bring food and she would bring medical needs. But it's not what she brought in that made her a great hero and a person of great courage. It's what or who she took out every time she went in. Is told that Irina, who at one time was up for a Nobel Peace Prize, would come out every time she visited and she would bring out infants and children with her, smuggled. Infants in this big box that she carried in with all of her supplies. And she would put children in these burlap bags and she would bring them out and bring them to her truck and take them back to an area where she had worked and networked with other orphanages to put these children into these homes. Now there's a couple of different stories that go about how she got them out and the soldiers didn't recognize their cries. One says that because she was a nurse, she sedated them to keep them from crying. Another one, which is my favorite and I hope it's true. She carried dogs with her in her trunk that were barked very viciously. So they covered the cries of the children and the soldiers were too scared to come to her truck because of the dogs barking. So that they hid the kids while that was going on. I hope that one's the truth. But regardless, she brought these children out. Eventually, Irina was caught. She was taken captive. She was taken prisoner. And miraculously, the only thing that happened to her was that both of her legs were broken. She survived and she was never killed. And when the war was over, she reunited herself with these children that she had rescued and taken to these orphanages and had their names changed to protect their identities. But Irina kept their names in a jar hidden in her backyard where she was living at the time, all with the goal to reunite every single child with their parent if she could. But it wasn't very successful because most every parent was killed and murdered by the Nazis. But through these orphanages, Irina and those in in charge were able to rescue 2,500 children and restore them to new homes. You hear stories like this of great courage and you're just wowed by it, right? You're in awe of what someone was able to do. Today, we're going into Daniel chapter three, and Daniel chapter three tells us of another historic account of courage. It comes from three guys, three other guys, individuals, only other three that are named as captives in Babylon in the book of Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So we get into Daniel chapter three, and it's their turn to step up and exhibit their faith in God. When Daniel chapter three opens, it opens with an explanation that King Nebuchadnezzar had made a 90 foot tall statue, 90 feet tall. It was nine feet wide at its base and he put it in the plains of Dura in Babylon and he called out all the government employees, all the, all the essential people in, in government around that area and he said, you need to come out. We are going to worship this image, this Statue that I have built. We don't necessarily really know what this statue was. The the, the Aramaic word, remember chapters two through seven, I told you, are written in Aramaic. It's while they're in Babylon. Daniel's writing this in Aramaic. And the word there is the word salam, which is a word that means image or idol, which was nothing new in this culture. They put up idols all over the place and they worshiped them. That was nothing new. The, The corresponding Hebrew word sounds the same as the Aramaic. Aramaic word and it means essentially the same it means an image but it also means a likeness of so that's where many believe that this image was in the likeness of Nebuchadnezzar others say it was in the likeness of a god of Babylon in that day regardless it was a huge statue which is nothing new but the the size was incredible ninety feet tall in this room from the floor and don't look up because those lights are bright but later look up the top pinnacle of the of the this room, that's 28 feet tall. And we think, man, that's tall. That's big. This thing was 90 feet tall. A story on a building is anywhere between 10 uh, to 11 feet each story. So you can basically think that the size of this statue was anywhere from nine to 10 feet or 10 story building. And it was nine feet wide. That's one foot Shorter than basketball fans than a the height of a basketball goal. All right? Huge. And Nebuchadnezzar is calling them out and he's saying, come and worship this image. Now, we live in a culture that is all about image building. Are we not? Maybe those of you who grew up or you were around in the late 80s, early 90s, you remember this guy. And he did a commercial uh, back in the late 80s, early 90s. Some of you are looking at his hair and you're thinking, hey, that's what my hair looks like now because it's making a comeback. But anyway, he he made commercials and the, the tag of that commercial, maybe you remember it, was image is everything. That was the tagline for that, that, that commercial. It was a camera commercial. That tagline, that mantra, that has been the mantra of our world, essentially forever. Image is everything. We want others to notice the image that we are building in our life. In fact, we even want others to go as far as to adore and praise and recognize the image that we are producing and we are building in our life. We get caught up worshiping the concept of of image and how we look. The Pharisees did this and Jesus called them out on it. He said, "You work so hard to make yourself look good in public." And you think about it how often we focus on our reputation because we want to we're concerned about what people think about us. What people how people see us, how people perceive us. So we work so hard on our reputation, but sometimes we work so hard on our reputation that we sacrifice our character. And who we really are as a person. We forget that we were actually made in the image of God. So rather than trying to build our own image, we should be trying to build the image of God that is within us. And the only image we should be worshiping in our life is that of God. We need to put our image on the altar rather than making our image an altar that we bow down to. And that goes for anything that we put in first place in our life. Anything that we're pursuing, more than we're pursuing God, that thing needs to be put on the altar, not an altar that we bow down to. So this image also, it's made of pure gold. From top to bottom, it's all gold. Now, if you remember, if you were here last week or if you've read Daniel chapter 2, you remember Daniel's vision that he had, or uh, Nebuchadnezzar's dream that he had. And then Daniel was spoken to by God through a vision to confirm that dream. And in the dream, Nebuchadnezzar's dream, he had this statue, right? And the statue was made, the head was gold. And the head of gold represented Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon. The rest was made of different materials. You had, you had uh, uh, silver, and then it was brass or bronze, and then you had iron and clay. And all of these were kingdoms that would come after Nebuchadnezzar taking over one from each other. But Nebuchadnezzar makes this whole statue of gold. In, Nebuchadnezzar chapter, in Daniel chapter 2, it ends with Nebuchadnezzar bowing down on his knees and proclaiming that Daniel's God is the God of all the gods. But Daniel chapter 3 opens with Nebuchadnezzar creating a statue made completely of gold and commanding others to bow down to it. It's as if Nebuchadnezzar is saying, This prophecy that God has tried to speak through, that's not going to happen. Because I'm king, my kingdom's going to reign forever, my kingdom will be established and hold. And this is the statement he seems to be making. Let's jump into Daniel chapter 3 and let's see what happens here. Let's start in verse 4. So the herald shouted, and he said, People of all races and nations and languages, listen to the king's command. When you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipes, and other musical instruments, bow down to the ground to worship King Nebuchadnezzar's golden statue. Anyone who refuses to obey will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. So, at the sound of the musical instruments, all the people, whatever their race or nation or language, bow to the ground and worship the gold statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. I want us to notice this language, how it keeps saying over and over again, of every nation, of every language, of every race, whatever tribe was represented in that day, they were trying to bring everyone in unity to worship what King Nebuchadnezzar had been establishing. But we know as followers of Christ, there's only one kingdom that's going to reign forever. And this is what God tried to speak to Nebuchadnezzar and let him know, king, you're establishing a kingdom. You're building this kingdom. In fact, remember, I gave you the victory over Judah. i let you win that. He said, you're building this kingdom, but there's going to come a day where there's a rock that's gonna come and it's gonna destroy every other man-made kingdom. And that kingdom alone is going to live forever. So just enjoy your kingship, king, while you can, basically. But he's establishing, we said last week, the spirit of Babylon wants to create a counterfeit kingdom to the kingdom of God. And so now he's creating a counterfeit worship to worship a God that is not God. And he's calling every nation and every tribe and every language to come do this. But we know Paul's made the statement in Romans and in Philippians. He said that there's one day coming where every knee will bow to Jesus Christ alone. And John, in his vision that he wrote in Revelation from Jesus Christ, he said he saw a vast throng of people that no man could number, that every tribe, every tongue, every people on earth was represented and they were surrounding the throne of God, worshiping, saying worthy is the lamb of God alone. Nebuchadnezzar is establishing a counterfeit worship. And we have to be careful not to let ourselves become victim of a counterfeit worship. We all will be worshiping something in our life. We're all putting something first and foremost in our life. We have to make sure our worship is God and God alone because our worship shows our allegiance. We must dethrone anything in our life that's in the place of God anything that we put in the place of God. Because remember the words of Jesus, we cannot serve two masters. We have to dethrone anything that sits in the place of God. And Paul told us that Jesus Christ was the image of the invisible God. Colossians chapter one, verses 15 to 16. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God that goes all the way back to the beginning. This invisible God that Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, we're going to see. They're going to say, that's the only God I'm worshiping. Jesus Christ is the image of that invisible God. He existed before anything created. He is supreme over all creation. And in verse 16, Paul writes, it says, For through him God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see. Such as these thrones, kingdoms, rulers, Everybody that sits on these, God created them and gave them to them. And not only that, all the authorities in the unseen world that we don't even know about. God is over all of it. Everything was created through him and for him. So our allegiance should be to God and God alone. There's nothing else that should take the place of God as our salvation or as our hope. And we cannot have an allegiance that is greater in our life than our love towards others. Because Jesus Christ, who is the image of the invisible God, came and told us a new command I give you. Love one another. So our our worship, our allegiance is to God and God alone. Daniel, let's keep going. Daniel chapter 3, verse 8. But some of the astrologers, we talked about them last week, the wise men, they went to the king and they informed on the Jews. In other words, they tattled, they snitched, all right? They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, long live the king. Verse 12, he said, you issued a decree requiring all the people to bow down and worship the gold statue when they hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipes, and all the musical instruments. That decree also states that those who refuse to obey must be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews, in other words, some of those that we took captive years ago. And here we see them called by their Babylonian names, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And you've put in charge, king, of provinces in Babylon. Babylon. They pay no attention to you, your majesty. They refuse to serve your gods, and they do not worship the gold statue that you have set up. Listen, the spirit of Babylon is quick to throw people who don't look like them, act like them, think like them, and talk like them. They're quick to throw those people into the fire. That's the spirit of Babylon. If the spirit of Babylon is quick to throw people who don't look like them, act like them, think like them, talk like them into fire. Then we as a body of Christ and followers of Christ who have the spirit of Christ cannot act like the spirit of Babylon. All right. We seem to live in a world that is forgotten. That you can live in a place with someone disagree with someone but still not destroy someone. Still not bring them down. You can still value another person and disagree with that person. You don't have to throw them into the fire. You don't have to cancel them. The, the, the spirit of Babylon, that's what it's about. We are called to have a spirit of reconciliation. Ultimately, hoping to see every heart in life reconciled to that of Jesus Christ. But we are called to a spirit of reconciliation. We are compelled by love. The spirit of Babylon looks to crucify. The spirit of Christ looks to bring life to others. That's what we're called to do if we're following Christ. Now I want us to watch the courage of Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Watch their courage. Listen to their courage. Verse thirteen. Then Nebuchadnezzar flew into a rage in order that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought before him. And when they were brought in, Nebuchadnezzar said to them. Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you refuse to serve my gods or to worship the gold statue that I have set up? I'm going to give you one more chance, he says, to bow down and worship the statue I've made when you hear the sound of the musical instruments. But if you refuse, you'll be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. And then, What God will be able to rescue you from my power? Nebuchadnezzar, we need to understand this. When he's asking them, do you not worship our gods? He's referencing a public expression. Babylon was a pluralistic society. Nebuchadnezzar was fine with them having their faith in their God. But he wanted them to also worship the Babylonian gods, in addition to their God. He wanted them to show allegiance to him as the full authority into their pluralistic society. And the Spirit of Babylon will tell you that in private who you worship, whatever. But in public, you need to sit in with the whole. To be in unity. We must be like everyone else and worship what everyone else likes. And Nebuchadnezzar saying, "Look, I've acknowledged the God of Daniel and your God, Nebuchadnezzar, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I've acknowledged that. I've acknowledged that God. Isn't it only fair that you also acknowledge my gods?" It wasn't their faith in God that caused the problem. It was their refusal to acknowledge that the divine authority of Nebuchadnezzar. That was the problem. And in our world, faith in Jesus is not necessarily the problem. It's our insistence that Jesus Christ is the only way to salvation. There is no other way. So we have to be careful to not make any other voice the voice of salvation. To not make any other voice or platform anything the voice of hope other than Jesus Christ himself. Hope is only found in Christ And when we allow our convictions to conform to culture, we have to be careful because we may be bowing down to an image other than God. Our confession of faith has to be one made in courage, grounded in Christ, not conformed by culture. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, I told you there's things that they had complied with. But there was lines that they were drawing that they were not going to step over to conform to the culture. So we have to create those lines in our life as well that says, I'm not going to conform. I'm not going to cancel you either, but I'm not going to conform. Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, they didn't trust anything other than their God. They didn't need a god of rain. They didn't need a god of whatever else was going to bring whatever. Their god and God alone was the only god that was going to provide. Now listen to their courageous confession. If we're thrown into the blazing fire, well, wait, wait. wait verse sixteen: Shadrach, at me, shatter Go, replied, O Nebuchadnezzar we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. Notice what they're saying. Remember, the, 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 the astrologers told the king, he, they reminded the king, you gave them influence. You made them leaders over provinces in Babylon. And, and these three guys, they knew they had influence. And their, their time had come to step up. But pay attention to the non aggressive, non abrasive, peaceful, respectful way they responded. They replied, they said, we don't need to defend ourselves. When we read that, we might read it in our personality. <laughs> I, don't got, I ain't got to defend myself against you. That might be how we read it. <laughs> but the word that's translated need here, it's, remember it's written in Aramaic. So it's translated need because of Aramaic. The corresponding Hebrew word is a word that, that means hasty or excited. So in other words, they're respectful. Notice how many times they say your majesty. They respectfully respond to the king and they say, look, we don't have to get worked up or excited in our, in the defense of ourselves. This is what we believe. When we respond to the spirit of Babylon, we have to respond with the spirit of God. And the Spirit of God, the fruit of that Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness. Sometimes we we think we're making a stronger point if we're, we're not kind or gentle in how we make that point. Don't forget that the fruit of the Spirit has kindness and gentleness a part of it. Faithfulness. Self-control, and I'm not preaching just to you. I, I got to tell myself that. But they—they they said, "Look, we, we want to be clear. We want you to understand. We don't want to make to be sounded. We—we we don't want to sound like there's any division or conflict in our conviction, King. We respect you as King. We have been serving in leadership in provinces in your King. We have complied with areas that we need to comply with." But this is an area we cannot conform. So king, respectively, we're not going to bow down to this God. Because there's no God like our God. There's no God like Jehovah. This is what they were saying. Now I'm not going to say that these guys didn't have a fear of Nebuchadnezzar. But their fear of Nebuchadnezzar that may have been there was not greater than their fear of God. And it wasn't greater than their faith in God. See, if we have a fear, if we let ourselves fear anything more than we fear God, then eventually we're going to find ourselves bowing to something instead of God. And our faith has to be in the fact that God is bigger than anything. They believed God could and they believed God would. But not only that, did you hear what they said? We believe God is even if he doesn't. They believed the words of the prophet Isaiah that said his ways are not our ways. His ways are higher than our ways. So we believe God can, we believe God will, but even if he doesn't deliver me the way I hope he will deliver me, I'm still not going to bow king to that image. I'm only gonna trust God. And sometimes we take a stand and God delivers us on this side of eternity. And sometimes we take a stand and God allows us to face suffering. And maybe he doesn't deliver us on this side of eternity. But we have to ask ourselves the question in those moments in the same way that these three guys did. Is knowing God enough in that moment? I know God. So let's look real quick. Verse 19, Nebuchadnezzar was so furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, his face became distorted with rage. He commanded that the furnace be heated seven times hotter than usual. Then he ordered some of the strongest men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So they tied them up, threw them in the furnace, fully dressed in their pants, Turbans, robes, other garments, and because the king in his anger had demanded such a hot fire in the furnace, the flames killed the soldiers as they threw the three men in. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, securely tied, fell into the roaring flames. But suddenly, Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in amazement and exclaimed to his advisors, I'm not crazy, Emma. Didn't we tie up three men and throw them in the furnace? Yes, Your Majesty, we sure did. Look, he shouted. I see four unbound, walking around in the fire unharmed, and the fourth looks like a god. Then Nebuchadnezzar came as close as he could to the door of the flaming furnace. And remember, he's seen his strongest men of his kingdom burned as soon as these other three were thrown in. So I imagine he's way back there in the distance going, you know, trying to not get anything on him burned. And he shouted Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, servants of the most high God. Boy, he's changing his tune all of a sudden. Isn't he? Come out. Come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego stepped out of the fire. Then the high officers, officials, governors, advisors crowded around them, saw that the fire had not touched them. Not a hair on their heads was singed. Their clothing was not scorched. And they didn't even smell like smoke. Mm-hmm. It, then Nebuchadnezzar said, praise To the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Again, he's not praising God as his God. He's praising it like he did Daniel. Praise to Daniel's God. Now praise to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's God. And he sent his angel to rescue his servants who trusted in him. They defied the king's command and were willing to die rather than serve or worship any God except their own God. Notice, the spirit of Babylon may eventually respect your conviction. Therefore, I made this. I make this decree: if any people, whatever their race or nation or language, speak a word against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they'll be torn limb for limb. Now, okay, all right. I mean, we well, appreciate it, Neb, but um, again, you know, you're not completely understanding the spirit of God here. Uh, their houses will be burned. Uh, into heaps of rabble turned into heaps of rubble there is no other God who can rescue like this then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego again to even higher positions in the province of Asia real quick in his letter in Peter's letter we read in chapter 1 in chapter 4 verse 12 Peter tells him he says don't be surprised when you go through fiery Trials. Don't be surprised. And then in chapter one, the opening text we read. Look at what he said in in chapter one of our opening text. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It's being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. Though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. Is there any coincidence you think that Peter keeps referencing tests and trials and fire and gold? I don't think so. Because Peter grew up knowing these historical counts. And I think he realizes and knows that the same exile that they were living in in Babylon, this is the same type of thing that those now who are believers in Jesus Christ in Peter's day were living in scattered throughout all of these provinces trying to live out their faith. And it's the same thing that we live in as followers of Christ in a world that doesn't understand God. But what does the fire do? The fire purifies. The fire pulls whatever little bit of Babylon or whatever lot of Babylon that's in us, it pulls it out. And it makes our faith more precious than gold. So, King, you can keep your statue of gold. My faith is in a God that is greater than your golden image. And my faith in God can create in me a faith that's worth more than your gold. Who you are, your worth, everything about you, it's found in Christ. All those minerals that was in that statue that we talked about last week, gold, gold, Silver, brass, iron, clay, every bit of it, it's either discovered or created from what's discovered when it mines the crust of the earth or the rock in the earth. Who did we say last week is our rock? Jesus Christ. Everything about you, your worth is found when you find yourself and discover yourself in him. And the more you let him grow you, the more you let him form you and shape you in the image of who he's creating you to be. The more valuable your faith will be. And what happens? We need, we need to wrap up. They come out of the other end. God delivers them, but they didn't need to come out before they experienced Christ. They didn't need to come out before they experienced the presence of God. You don't have to get to the end of your trial to experience Christ. Christ can be experienced even in your trial and even in what you face. You don't have to, freedom doesn't come when you get to the end. Freedom is found by being in the presence of God. And when you walk through it, God walks through it with you. He walks through the purification process. And the only thing that's burned off of you is anything that has you bound. Whatever strong thing by the spirit of Babylon, by this world that tries to hold you captive, it doesn't matter how strong it is in this world. It is not stronger than the spirit of God working in your life and freeing you. And you can come out on the other side of that, not resembling anything about what you went in looking like. Listen, they came out you you may when you came in this morning, you may want why is this? I know I heard people saying, What's why is the smoke? Why? Why? Because I wanted you to not just hear this today. I wanted you to sense this today. Be, be thankful I didn't tell them to turn the heat up to ninety-nine, all right? I wanted you to sense this today. That you can come out on the other side not smelling like what you went in. People, people get around you and they'll sniff all they want to sniff and try to find. Where is the, other, the person I once knew? They're not there anymore. The old is gone. The new has come. I'm beginning to walk in what God is creating me to be. And look at what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 15. He says these words. He says, our lives are a Christ-like fragrance rising up to God. Now God doesn't look at you and God doesn't sense the sin. He senses Jesus in you. You give your life to Christ and you let him him change your heart. And he puts his righteousness on you. And there may still be trials and there may be still tests and there may still be purification that you've got to go through that's going to grow you even more, going to make your faith even more valuable. Just let God take you through them and trust him in it, worship him in it. And you may be like Peter from time to time. You may fall, but Jesus will be right there on the other side of it and he'll have a conversation with you and he'll say, do you still love me? then just go do what I've created you to do. And I want us to understand the fire we go through, Peter says, is a fire of purification. It's not a fire of punishment. Again, the spirit of Babylon tries to counterfeit the kingdom of God. I really believe God is pointing out through this that the punishment of fire is only meant for those that do not worship God as the one true God. Because there will be a day when we do see life in eternity and it's either going to be in the presence of Jesus Christ and of God in heaven or it's going to be in damnation. Jesus teaches this. He tells us this in hell. But God wants to change us and transform us and grow us into someone new. Will we allow him to do that in our life? See, Jesus did something for us even greater than what he did for Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. He went into the fire with them and he stood with them. Jesus went into that fire for us. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, they went into the fire to endure the wrath of Nebuchadnezzar. Jesus went on the cross and endured for us the wrath of God. And just like these guys came out of this fire and walked out of this fire, Jesus Christ, he died the death on the cross. He was put in a tomb, but he walked out of that tomb victorious. And he ascended to heaven and he reigns with God. And will one day come again, establishing the throne of God on this earth for eternity. And it's one thing for us to sing in this room, there's no God like Jehovah. But can we be like Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah when we go out into a world that says, yeah, there is. Can we stand up and say, no, there's not. There is no God like Jehovah. And I'm not going to bow my life to anything other than Jesus Christ and my heavenly father. Stand with me this morning. Father, we just worship you today. And we give you this moment. We give you this closing time. And Father, as we just, again, in these last few moments, just put our heart in you and reflect on you and who you are in our life, God. I pray that we will find freedom in you. I pray that we will find our heart in in you. And we will say that in our life, God, there's no God like you. And we can make a proclamation with our faith that says, I believe God can. I believe he's able. I believe God will. But not only that, I believe God, even if he does it differently than what I hoped, I still trust God. I encourage you today, if you have never put your faith in God's hands and believed in Jesus Christ, accepted him as Lord today, I encourage you to take that step. Give your heart to him. Express to him today a faith that says, Jesus, I believe that you died on a cross, that you were risen again, and you did that for me in my place. And help me today to see my life transformed, to be made new in you, and to be different than what I've been living. Make that proclamation today. Take that step. Trust him as your God and tell somebody. Your faith, as we see from Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, from Daniel, your faith is meant to be public. It's not meant to be private. And it's meant to be in God and God alone. So tell somebody today. As we close out this morning, I just encourage you, let's worship God. Faith, that says, "There's no god like Jehovah." But don't just let this faith resound in this room. Take it out with you when you walk out of this place today. That every day I live, my life will proclaim, "There is no god like God." If you need prayer in any way today, we would love for you to reach out to us. You can go to our website bwccambin.com, go to our contact page. You'll find the link there to. Uh, request prayer or send us anything that you uh, would like to communicate with us today or you can also simply text the word prayer to 803-676-7566 and we will be back in touch with you to find out how we can be in prayer for you god bless you we hope that you have a great week